Good morning and welcome to Wednesday morning, October the 13th in 2021 on When I Rise. We're currently in year B, proper week 24, which is the 21st Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Wednesday of the week, we like to take one of the extra texts that they have from the Revised Common Lectionary for this week in the church calendar year. And today, I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 12. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection. Then we'll start, spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning and winter eyes. Let's allow our souls to rise and be God together in a time of prayer. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 12. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was, like, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had, had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and, will and the, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of God for us. For those of us who are committed to Jesus and with a firm grasp, or even uh, just knowing a little bit of the details of the cross and the suffering of Jesus, that story, we can see how these words from Isaiah 53 would have exploded off the page, exploded in the memory of those who were the eyewitnesses and those who reflected upon the life and the death, the suffering, and then the resurrection of Jesus. So we, what we have here is the second part of Isaiah is the, a bit of a promise-rich part of the text. Uh, the first part of Isaiah uh, can be considered as like the judgment and the woes of Israel because of their sin. But the second half, what even some scholars call second Isaiah, there's a tone change, there's an aim that's different than the first half of the book. And so here we have a great celebration of what God is going to do even during a time of lowliness. And so what we see here is that um, this one person, there's like one main character wrapped up in a swirl of divine activity in Isaiah 53. Because on the one hand, there is uh, this one character, this main character, is suffering on behalf of many. So there was a judgment against a larger group of people, but God is allowing a stand-in for the rest of them 
in order uh, for that judgment to be enacted and for that judgment to be absorbed. And then at the very end of the passage, we also have this great vindication of a similar person. Now, this is so mystifying that some commentators uh, inside and outside of Christianity assume that maybe there's two characters considered here. One that received the suffering and one that received the vindication. And there's this divergence of thought of this person is suffering because of ill will that they personally have done. And so they're suffering uh, on behalf of the rest of the country, of the nation of Israel, so that the rest of the uh, nation of Israel doesn't have to suffer. So this one person is standing in because of their common guilt. And then there's this person with vindication uh, who is righteous and highly honored because of their righteous living. And so what we have in the Christ event is the mixture of these two, what thought were different characters, now merged into one. So Jesus is the victorious one. He is the vindicated one. He, God did not allow his son to be left in the grave on a resurrection morning, but he vindicated him by giving his life back. But Jesus also stood as a stand-in for the sins of a large group of people. Uh, New Testament uh, writers say for the sins of the whole world, not just our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And so in a mystery, God is holding these two great realities together. That suffering is absorbed by one person and that person is vindicated. I think this is an important part of the gospel because someone can suffer and be left there and they can still be honored, but to be vindicated uh, seems to underwrite uh, their, their great innocence in the midst of their suffering. Uh, I think sometimes we see someone who suffers um, and we th- feel like it's a shame because maybe they're suffering not because of anything that they've done, but because of what some other people have done to them. And we think, man, it'd be great if someone could like, help them out. And so in one sense, Jesus is like that. Jesus is this victim. He takes uh, the wrath of uh, what's happening in the world. Uh, he's taken wrath from religious leaders. He's taken the wrath from Imperial Rome. Some uh, sections of Christianity say that the wrath from God himself being done upon his own son, right? And then, but then there's this great side of the gospel, this vindication where God restores it all, that uh, something is absorbed and then something happens in its wake. I think of that Romans 8.1 passage where there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Um, and so here at the cross, and you see this in the gospel stories, there's all this accusation hurled against Jesus. And in different places in the New Testament, and it says here in Isaiah 53, you know, Jesus is being accused, but he doesn't return accusation with accusation. But he actually returns accusation with affirmation, or at least forgiveness, where he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And he says at the end of his life, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus could have returned accusation for accusation, like it was what's common currency in our culture. But Jesus didn't. Like he absorbed it. He like put it to death. He buried that accusation and retribution and retaliation. He like buried it with him. And then at his resurrection, there comes this brand new way of being human where there could be now affirmation and hope instead of accusation against accusation. Um, so many people say that there's different atonement theories out there, right? There's like um, like penal substitutionary atonement. There is like a ransom theory atonement. There's like a moral improvement atonement. Now there's like this idea of an atonement of how God covers over the sins. We can call it the, the affirmation atonement where Jesus does not return accusation with accusation, but he actually buries it. And in its wake, he establishes a 
Gracious economy of affirmation instead. Imagine that. Imagine how revolutionary it could be in the world if we decided to stop playing the, the accusation game and we led with affirmation instead. Imagine what that would do within us, ourselves personally, because we accuse ourselves in so many ways and heap guilt and shame upon ourselves, right? Imagine that what would happen in our relationships where we, we start with affirmation instead of accusing somebody out of our fear and our... Um, and our worry about being in a relationship, right? Or we have a whole community where the community just understands, like the rules of the game here are affirmation gets the last word. Um, yes, we still teach, we still rebuke very sparingly. Yes, we do admonish from time to time. But what we're known for the most is this radical affirmation that paves the way for a brand new world to be experienced in our midst, right? So Jesus was able to do that. He he wrapped up all of the darkness that this world was passing towards one another that was breaking God's world. He like buried it in the tomb with him. And then at his vindication, he had a choice to make. I could, I could raise this accusation, right? But he says, no, instead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise affirmation in its place. Um, and so my admonishment for us today is that we'd be people of affirmation. Imagine if our ledger today, by the end of the day, were 10 to 1 was like affirmation over accusation. Imagine how we might reflect on how this day went if we followed that pattern of life. So with that in mind, let's spend some time praying before our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that Jesus, you decided to launch a gracious economy on the earth that would be known for its affirmation, that we're forgiven and free people, co-heirs with Christ, and a people of God adopted as sons and daughters of the Holy One. We thank you that um, what we hear in the courtroom when it comes to the investigation of our life is not uh, accusation, for you have silenced the accuser, and in his place and in accusation's place, you have established affirmation as the way of the kingdom. And so, God, we enter and we receive this type of kingdom. God, we understand that we have participated in accusation. We have retaliated instead of forgiven. Uh, we have harbored resentment because it keeps us warm and cozy, and it, we feel like it protects us from being vulnerable and taken advantage of. So we, we trade off all that stuff. We change our minds, and we say, God, we want to be people of affirmation, uh, just simply responding in response to the great affirmation you've poured over our lives. So God, help us in our relationships, help us in our relationship with ourselves, that uh, we would be marked by affirmation instead of accusation. And I pray that uh, there would be great vindication in our mood, there'd be vindication in our relationships, there'd be vindication in the world around us, that we would see evidence of uh, the resurrection because we choose to be people of affirmation. And so God, start within us, and I pray that we might see it's working out in the lives and in the communities around us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.